0: Musical, linguistic Greetings from Cyberdelic Space. This is Lorenzo and I'm your host here in the Psychedelic Salon. And today's podcast features a conversation from our live salon last week with Daniel McQueen. Now, several weeks ago, in Podcast 611, we heard from Dr. Andrew Gallimore, who co-authored a paper with Dr. Rick Strassman regarding ways in which to extend an NN DMT experience through an IV drip. Now, today we're going to hear from Daniel McQueen, who is the founder of Medicinal Mindfulness and is a leader of the Extended DMT Research Project that is based on the paper by Gallimore and Strassman. Now, during our conversation, Daniel described the preparation and training that is now underway as a small group of psychonauts prepare for a systematic exploration of the state of mind that we experience while under the influence of DMT. And to close this little circle of discussions about better controlling the DMT experience, on next Monday evening, July 29th, our guest in the live salon will be Dr. Rick Strassman himself, whose work is detailed in his book DMT the Spirit Molecule, and he has a new book out. So if all goes well, I also hope to have Andrew Gallimore and Daniel McQueen join us for that salon as well. Now tonight, as you know, my guest in the salon will be author and longtime friend of the salon, Eric Davis. Hopefully uh, you'll be able to join us. But now, why don't you join me and listen in on this intriguing conversation that I had with Daniel McQueen who is proposing some psychedelic experiments that are, well, they're most certainly on the leading edge of consciousness research. Tonight we are, are, uh, are we have two guests, one who is a guest here uh, every night for over a year, and that's Kevin, <laughs> who's calling in from the road like he does. And uh, uh, Kevin is also the one that, that brought us uh, Andrew and, and tonight Daniel McQueen to talk about some of the work that's uh, being uh, produced, proposed and considered and investigated about ways to extend uh, both the intensity and length of a DMT experience, if I understand it right. So rather than me talk anymore, uh, uh, Kevin and Daniel, let me turn it over to the two of you, and you guys can kind of guide this conversation for us. So Daniel, DMT X, as uh, I, I have a patch here that... Uh, right. Kevin Kevin sent me, and he sent one to uh, Bruce Damer, who's been wearing it on his uh, flight suit when he gives talks mm-hmm. all around the, the country now. So uh, the the message is getting out without people really knowing too much about it. So uh, why don't you kind of take it from there and, and uh, tell us how you launched into where you're going.
1: Yeah, I sure will. Uh, I would say it was uh, – just following a thread guided by an intuition and an inspiration. Uh, I, I had uh, become friends with Rick Strassman after we invited him to uh, speak at a, uh event that we host called Psychedelic Shine. Um, and, and that's in Boulder? That's in Boulder, Colorado. It's a speaker series and a psychedelic community gathering. Uh, and uh, so Rick was one of our first big name speakers that we had. And Uh, he had sent me the article that he co-authored with uh, Andrew Gallimore on the extended state DMT uh, proposal. And uh, I thought about it and was curious about it, but then um, didn't really think much of it uh, for a little while. And then uh, we invited uh, Dennis McKenna to come speak at a psychedelic shine event. And I knew I was going to be speaking that day as well. So I wanted to think about and speak to, uh, the growth edges of the psychedelic community. Uh, there's a lot of emphasis on psychedelics being used to treat trauma and other mental health concerns. And I think that's really important. My whole program is based off of a lot of these models, but for me as a, someone who identify as a community member of the psychedelic, um, society, I guess I wanted to Speak to and talk about like the uh, the extreme growth edges of our community, what we're capable of if we're no longer just trying to justify using these medicines for you know therapeutic purposes. And like, what's this? Uh, like, what's the highest idea that I could think about? You know, and uh,
0: let me interrupt for a minute. Dave. How yeah, how did you get from uh, from wherever you started to all of a sudden being inspired to give back to the community somehow. What What, what is it that's really prompted this? System?
1: Okay. Yeah. So let's, let's take a step back. So I am a, a psychedelic therapist by profession and, uh, I went to get my master's in Naropa at Naropa university in transpersonal psychology. And I had every intention of trying to figure out how to be a psychedelic therapist and, uh, start, this was, uh, 2008, 2009, when the MAPS conferences just started, uh, psychedelic sciences conferences, and was really inspired by that work in uh, MDMA-assisted psychotherapy. Uh, but none of that is legal, of course, uh, yet, right? Uh, and so how do you have a profession? How do you have a public identity? Uh, how do you raise young children, right, without these added stressors of being an underground guide? Um And then in 2014, uh, uh, cannabis became legal recreationally in Colorado. It was one of the first uh, two states uh, to legalize recreationally. And a friend of mine suggested I try working with cannabis as a psychedelic uh, for therapeutic purposes. And so long story short, I've developed this whole program and teach people how to use cannabis as a psychedelic. And I and that's my private practice. I don't work with uh anything other than uh cannabis, and uh and I do this pretty regularly. You know, uh uh you know, have clients who come see me for a few-day retreat, I do a couple of uh psychedelic cannabis or psychedelic cannabis and breath work sessions with them. And it's uh turns out to be a really powerful modality for healing trauma and can be used as other psychedelics can be. And um and so <laughs> working with psychedelics in a sense is my day job. And, um, and as inspiring as working with cannabis was, uh, I want, again, I wanted to explore more than the healing potential of these medicines and, and, uh, I needed something. I wanted to think in terms of something that was inspiring, like to play with big ideas. And, uh, uh I was watching a documentary on uh, the Mars mission, um, you know, at, at that time, it was really, and I've always been inspired by space travel. You know, I'm a kid of the 80s. Um, let, me, NASA. let me
0: just interrupt for one second because I'll forget otherwise. You you mentioned the Mars mission, and Bruce Damer, who's wearing your patch on his uh, his suit that he gives these talks to, was on the team that uh, worked on the previous Mars mission, and the one that just designed or yes. That's on his jumpsuit, and he was on the team that that actually uh, picked out the landing site for the one that's uh, about to take place now. So you actually have a direct connection to the Mars mission.
1: Yeah, right. Well, I mean, psychedelics can be as inspiring as space travel, you know? There's something about them that really... Um, moves people and inspires people to change their whole lives and and devote their lives to. And you know, some some people would say it is space travel, <laughs> right? Well, that's one of the questions we wish to explore, right? <laughs>
0: right, right.
1: Uh, be a lot less boring of a trip, and um, and probable guarantee of uh, some sort of alien encounter with the, the way we're working this out. Um, so you know, so it was just a. At the first, this just started to be a. Uh, an inquiry, what inspires me and what could inspire the psychedelic community? Like what was just ours to do? Um, again, not having to prove our worth, um, by focusing on healing trauma and things. It was just, it was just a idea. And, uh, and so I started talking about it. Um, and this is the, and started talking to Andrew Gallimore and started talking to Rick Strassman and, started talking to Dennis McKenna and they all have very strong opinions about this. Uh, and so I knew I was on the right track, right? Like when it, when it stirs people up and, uh, right. um, and so, uh, we invited, uh, Andrew Gallimore to Colorado to speak. He just was happening to be visiting uh CU at the time and, um, we were able to set it up, set up a call. And again, I just kept putting myself in the, in the situation of like, if we were to do this, actually implement it how how would we do it and um and and from there it just kind of has taken on a uh, life of its own so to speak you know it's gotten bigger than me and um you know we have a whole team uh devoted to the program now and the, all you know all these psychonauts like kevin who are who are coming and doing training work with us and getting ready for these events um,
0: so go ahead and let's hear about the program then how what 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 the pro, uh, the process is the protocol?
1: The DMTX protocol.
0: Yes. Uh huh.
1: So, right now we're in a training phase. Um, we're doing some ex- uh, re- uh, retreat training retreats in uh, Boulder, Colorado. Uh, we did one September two thousand eighteen, and then we're doing another one in two thousand nineteen. And we're creating a training protocol. So we're not just putting what we would call uh, research. Uh, In research, like healthy volunteers, that they're actually trained, they have experience, and they um, have some idea of how to handle, you know, these big states. And uh, this year, we're excited to be able to incorporate um, a ketamine, a group ketamine experience into the uh, training protocol. Uh, So I have a team of medical professionals and other sitters coming to uh, facilitate these experiences for the psychonauts. Um, And then uh, next year is our first uh, training retreat uh, in Costa Rica, uh, and right now we 're uh, we 're speaking with a couple of different retreat centers to host us, and those would be uh, ongoing further training with DMT and Jurema, or you know some sort of uh, ayahuasca analog uh, with uh, DMT and Syrian rue again giving our psychonauts opportunities to experience a real DMT experience before we put them in what we would call an extended state experience.
0: You know, Daniel, uh, something that, that I, I probably have mentioned this to Kevin, that that uh, you may want to look into uh, uh, personally before you uh, you know <laughs> think much about it, but it's called Carbogen. I don't know if you looked into that, but Myron Stolroff used that at his Menlo Park Psychedelic Research Center where 350 people went through it, and Duncan Blewett and Humphrey Osmond used it up in Canada. And I spoke to both of them about it, and uh, they had a lot of kind of funny stories about it too, but it's 75% oxygen and 25% carbon dioxide, so it's, it's a totally legal thing. And the way uh, Duncan and Myron both described it to me is they would inhale it, and for something less than five minutes, they would have like a full-blown 500-mic LSD experience. And they would use this wow. to to mm. give people a a look into it before they actually had their first mm. experience. I have mm. I've never tried it. I I've no idea whether it would be any close to a DMT experience, mm. but it may be a legal way to uh, you know put training wheels on for people. Yeah,
1: yeah. You know the the great thing. I'll have to check that out. I I feel like I've heard that of that before. Um, I didn't realize it was that potent. Arrowhead uh,
0: has some. Uh, information okay,
1: about I'll it. check that out. Yeah. Um well the thing the way we're doing the training and preparing people now is through using psychedelic cannabis and and again this is like my day job and um I uh, just finished a book about it it's coming out in another couple of weeks and um oh, be and sure it,
0: to send us the link so yeah. I can uh, add it to the program notes
1: here. yeah for sure yeah thank you um and so what we're and, able to and the ti- while well, we're here the title of the book it's called uh, psychedelic cannabis breaking the gate i like that yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I teach people in the book how to make cannabis a psychedelic and then how to use it for uh, trauma resolution and, uh, and just general psychedelic journey work purposes. And, and so we already have these built in training mechanisms and uh, you'd be surprised how strong it can be. But some people describe it as it can be as strong as DM, like pure NNDMT. Um, but the interesting thing about cannabis is that you retain a much stronger sense of agency. Uh, whereas with a DMT experience, you can't really stop it. You can't pause it. If you open your eyes, it's going to still be going on and such. And so, uh, and the, the wild thing about this agency is this, it's a skill set that can be translated to other psychedelic medicines. Um, and whether or not it fully translates to, you know, an extended state DMT experience might be another question, right? But it's helpful. Um, but with ketamine too, uh, you know, that's a you know, an hour to two hour experience. Uh, so again, a longer journey, which is often described as like DMT like in in an experience, you know, less colorful, but still really evocative. Um, so, and and the, and the trainees, the psychonaut trainees are required to do their own, uh, uh, meditation, mindfulness practices, um, and to continue, uh, developing a healthy and sustainable lifestyle so they can really show up for the extended state dmt experiences and um and so so we're in year two of the training protocol and we have one more year to go with that and by that time we should have all of the uh logistical and operational things figured out uh around how to actually facilitate an extended state dmt experience and i'm still sp- speaking with andrew and getting ideas from him and uh and then there's also the Imperial College of London group that's doing research on uh, the pharmacokinetic model um, so that they can do these extended state sessions in these um, in these brain scanning machines, you know, uh, longer sessions. They get more information and such. So so there's a lot of development happening uh, right now. Um, we decided to go outside of the s- straight research um, paradigm, you know, like FDA approved research, uh, because we wanted to incorporate a larger, um, protocol than a reductionist protocol. Uh, you know, so, you know, again, like what are ideals or, uh, concepts or beliefs that, um, are important to the psychedelic community, you know? And so there would be like, uh, in this, in the sessions themselves, I want you to imagine like, uh, what I imagine is like a domed room, um, like a Buckminster Fuller Dome or something like that. And one of the retreat centers actually has structures like these on, uh, on their campus. And um, so imagine an uh, adjustable bed in the middle, like a twin size bed with two sitters on each side of the bed to hold space for the person. So uh, direct, you know, personal contact there. And then behind the person, though, would be the uh, what's called a uh, targeted infusion pump. Um, and all of the medical equipment. So there would be, uh, you know, health monitoring, EEG monitoring, uh, heart and blood pressure monitoring, all of that. Um, and then a lot of, like, psycho, uh, psychotherapy support before and after these experiences. Um, and the protocol that I'm leaning to now, so imagine you would go, you would uh, facilitate a, DM, a regular injected DMT experience uh, which would be a reproduction of Strassman's original research, um, and and the reason the person would then gain experience, right? Dip more than dip their feet into the experience, right? They'd have a full DMT experience. Um, and, but and we would How all, how long would that first one be? <clears throat> so, you know, the peak, the breakthrough peak, has been measured by Andrew Gallimore as uh, and uh, Dr. Strassman as about five to seven minutes, and that's when the blood levels reach, I think, over 80 or 100 um, nanograms a milliliter or something like that, and so anything above that is considered um, a breakthrough space, and then there's other research. I, I, I don't know the citation offhand, but I bet I can find it, where the, 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 the uh, brain scanning is actually showing the default mode network going offline at that point and then coming back online at the five to seven minute mark. Um, And so there's this peak period, right? And so, but what we would gather, we would also gather, how does the person respond to the dosage, you know? And then what is the duration of the peak? What is the duration of the full experience? And I think we'd be able to uh, discern a trajectory of how the medicine affects uh, individual human being. Um, Right now they're at the uh, London uh, Imperial College of London. They're, they're trying to develop the pharmacokinetic model based on um, uh, giving DMT to very large numbers of people so they can predict based on gender or uh, uh, weight, that sort of age, that sort of thing of how it would affect it. And so how do you stabilize it? And there's a lot of research around that. And, and we'll be, uh, reviewing all of that as we go along with this. Um, so after the first session, there would be a day off, rest and recovery. The team would probably be going through other other psychonauts during that time. And then the second session for the person would be an extended state DMT experience. Um, and so using, again, using the pharmacokinetic model, the information we gained from the first uh, uh, trip that the person went on, uh, what if we extended the experience, the peak part of the experience, 15 minutes? You know, that's still two to three times as the, long the, as the,
0: you're talking about the peak part of the experience then.
1: the peak part of the experience. Yeah. So one of the wonderful things about this medicine is that it's programmable um, using this uh, targeted infusion pump, the equation and other things. The infusion pump technology is really actually very simple. Um, It's the equation that Gallimore is putting onto the DMT experience that really makes it revolutionary. But the idea is you can adjust. Eventually, we should be able to adjust the uh, takeoff, the intensity of the takeoff, whether it's like straight into DMT space within 20 seconds, like an injection is, or what if you titrated it and, and shot them up at a slower trajectory to support the transition being smoother or something. Um, The other way it can be programmed is uh, intensity. So you can be at these above breakthrough uh, experiences, right? And, and, and the idea with this model is that, and it can level off. So you don't have to do like a straight up and uh, down curve, right? You go up and it levels off and then, uh, at a different levels, you can program it to at different levels for possible different uh, purposes. Would, would the participant
0: that. be able to have some input as to moving a level?
1: Yeah, so that would be the third um, experience. So imagine another day break and you come back into the experience. So imagine a person being put into the breakthrough experience for however long. You know, again, like I, again, we're we're talking like even twenty minutes is right four times as long as a yeah. regular DMT experience, right? So, uh, so what does it look like to step into that safely? And um, so, and then you would dial it down. Um, they could then come back out of the breakthrough space, but still be in a DMT state. And can they then communicate, share what's going on? Uh, offer some feedback on the intensity of the experience um, so that then you could readjust the dial back up and send them back into the DMT state wow. to uh, you know, complete whatever process they were working on. You know uh, there's, again, there's a lot of different per- functions that we can do with this. And then, and then the the other piece around the programmability is that you, because of the way the uh, how quickly DMT metabolizes, um, you can turn the machine off at any time. Like say there's a, um, the psychonaut is overwhelmed by the experience and it doesn't feel emotionally safe anymore. You can just turn the machine off. And within theoretically, <laughs> and let's just go to the big questions is theoretically within a few minutes, the person would then come out of the DMT experience. Um, so that would be un- very unlike ayahuasca and other medicines where you can't just turn the you know turn the experience off um, you know
0: you got got my wheels turning like crazy here because <laughs> but first of all you know i'm a novelist too and my friend matt palmery wrote this really fascinating novel called nothing and it's about this uh intense uh vr gaming where the gamers wound up getting in each other's games and I, all of a sudden i'm thinking about uh, a group of people having this DMT extended experience and all trying to get into the same space. And mm-hmm. I'm hoping that somebody that hears this podcast, some young kids will start writing some stories about this. I'd like to read some short stories. Yeah. It really, yeah, this
1: is straight out of sci-fi. You know, it really is. Well, it's um, true
0: exploration of DMT mm, space. You know, mm, they're really explorations.
1: Mm, if, yeah.
0: if it works. If it works. Okay. Yeah, you know, yeah,
1: it's it should it should work. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and you know, so longer term goals, uh, one real possibility the technology already exists would be group, extended state DMT experiences. And uh and so imagine that could be set up like a ceremonial experience or a personal development, personal growth experience, or it could be to explore that question of can um, multiple psychonauts in the same space have the same experience? Uh, can they communicate with each other in that space and retrieve that communication without speaking verbally? Um, there's a lot of experiments that could be done in a space like that. Um, you know, and those are some really interesting questions.
0: You know, I, I, I'm i appreciative of the fact that you're, you know, taking the time and energy and going out sort of on a limb to uh, push this forward because I've just finished reading a book called A Terrible Mistake. And it's about uh, the the murder of Ken Olson, the CIA guy in 1953 that was thrown out of a 13th story window. And uh, he was going to expose the fact that the CIA had uh, – had done had dosed the whole city in mm-hmm. France to uh with LSD and people died and uh and anyhow the, what I'm getting to is this if you read this book, that was just the tip mm-hmm. of the iceberg. The CIA and the mm-hmm. military intelligence did so many things. Uh we're talking about thousands of experiments in mm-hmm. military hospitals and prisons. And this this a group DMT uh, exploration is not out of the realm of believability that they could be experimenting with this. And mm-hmm. so, I think it's really important to have uh, us civilians <laughs> mm-hmm. looking at things like this too, because, you know, when you think about what could be done, you were just describing a a, a possible group experience, but that could also be used in in a negative way, you know, to mm-hmm. precondition people because that's what the CIA was trying to do mm-hmm. with, with LSD. Mm-hmm. And it failed miserably <laughs> as people mm-hmm. started thinking for themselves. But, you know.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that's, again, one of the other um things of like, uh, you know, not being just a research experiment or, or program, but what can we do around, um, conducting a exper- expedition? We're calling it more of an expedition than a research program, but that's congruent with the ethics of our psychedelic community. And, you know, and, and psychedelics are, are meant to help wake people up, right? They're meant to be liberating factors and, Uh, And so like we would like, so who we let into this program, you know, like we um, are paying attention to that and how it could be used. But I think you're right. Like any uh, powerful technology, um, you know, it has, is a double-edged sword. And, um, and we don't want to develop technologies uh, that can be used to not, you know, not be for the betterment of humanity.
0: And and Um, that's why it's important that you know how to use it and you can mm -hmm. open source it, you know?
1: Yeah, no, you know, we're, we're a signatory on the, um, I think the council of spiritual practices did that open sciences and open, um, open praxis, uh, statement. And, you know, we're signatories on that. And, you know, we're, we're share every step of the way with the public, you know, we're not hiding anything. I think that's important. You know, it's like, I think it's important for people in our community to have something, uh, to be inspired by, you know, and because we get so much shame in our, uh, uh, directed at us or shaming directed at us for our interest in, you know, these uh, psychedelic medicines, you know, uh, they they are degraded as drugs or get woo woo and stuff. But, you know, like, I'm, I'm curious about the, um, the government piece around this too. And it's hard not to believe that they didn't work with DMT when they were doing these other experiments with LSD and other things, you know, so we're actually in the process of filing a FOIA request, uh, to ask for any and all research that the government's done on in DMT. And um, we'll see what comes of that. I don't really expect anything to come of that really, but it, but I'm kind of curious to see what uh, arises in that process. I,
0: I've, got, I've got that uh, uh, terrible mistake on my Kindle and I'll look so far. Mm-hmm. I don't remember reading anything about DMT and, and mm-hmm. this is one of the best research books that came out in 2009. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'll take a look at that, but I, I, I think DMT might have uh, passed uh, kind of under, it,
1: it really might have, which is surprising, you know, in some ways, cause it's been known for a while now, you know, uh, you know, the early uh, Naropa founders, the beat poets, you know, Ginsburg and Burroughs and all of those guys, they were looking for the medicine, you know, they were looking for Yage and, uh, uh ayahuasca and stuff in the fifties, um, right. And exploring, you know, this uh this tradition. So it's real interesting. I didn't realize that that uh you know Naropa at the beginning had um this direct relationship with uh DMT users. You know, so there's like this interesting lineage there, you know, that I ended up being a part of accidentally.
0: <laughs> you know, uh, I think a lot of us that are here because of the little uh accidents that happened along the way.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs>
0: You're talking about how the interest in DMT, but, you know, as, as uh, we all know here, we've heard Dennis uh, McKenna a lot of times talk about how it's probably the most prevalent uh, psychedelic molecule on the planet. Not only Mm -hmm. is it uh, endogenous with us, but in so many Mm -hmm. plants. So this, Mm -hmm. this is really uh, important. And and I know that uh, uh, his brother Terrence often talked about uh, the the way that perhaps artists could uh, map DMT space Mm -hmm. for us. And, and I'm thinking that, uh, uh, and this was thinking way ahead. If, if a group experience does work where you could have a, a graphic artist, a musician, mm-hmm. a writer, a philosopher, all mm-hmm. in it, just sharing an experience and mm-hmm. then putting a presentation together. of some mm-hmm. kind of Virtual reality. Yeah.
1: I think it would be utterly inspiring. I think people like that would uh, really thrive in a uh, a program like this. And, and so, and that's part of what we're interested in doing very, very explicitly. So after, uh Kevin and the other crew members go through this program and we get the kinks out of it we get real confident in our capacity to facilitate it safely uh, we'll start invite we're you know we're already looking at inviting uh scientists and technologists uh like all the you know artists different kinds of artists uh, musicians um you know think of anthropologists Uh, Trying to understand and communicate, right? Like, again, this is, um, this is right out of science fiction. People make books about things like this. And I always wanted to be part of something that felt science fiction like. And so it just really, like, people, we always talk about the ancient roots of psychedelics, right? And the indigenous roots of psychedelics. And, uh, and then there's this whole thread of, uh, inspiring sci fi. Uh, movies and uh, novels and the futuristic aspects of psychedelics. You know, I just was curious about what would that look like if we played with those ideas and images and uh, we're inspired by a space program and make Psychonaut patches and things, what would that look like? And um, and uh, and so we've just taken it a step at a time and figured it out as we've gone. And uh, the interesting thing is for better or worse, every time we take big steps into developing um, parts of the program are always met by new allies and new support and new uh, interest, and it you know it feels uh, very energetically in tune. You know, uh, uh, to go at this rate, it feels very you know psychedelic inspired. Um, and uh, you know, so again, like, what does it look like? What are what are our potentials of of a psychedelic community really? And uh, I'm, I'm really personally curious. I know Andrew's very curious about the, uh, you know, the objective reality of these experiences or, you know, are we really going to someplace beyond ourselves? And I, I'm curious about that, but I'm also interested in like using this as a, as a technological problem solving tool. Um, you know, again, bringing in technologists that are working on really complex problems and, will the DMT affect their brain differently? Will it allow them to see a problem, um, and ways around it and ways to work with it? Can we develop new, uh, technology, innovation that, um, would be important to, uh, making it through the climate crisis that we're in, you know, uh, you know, can't, psychedelics, you know, inspire things like the iPhone, right? Uh, uh. DNA supposedly, the structure of DNA supposedly, uh, you know, recognized and understood using LSD, right? I think we have a strong track record in the psychedelic community of really inspiring world-transforming technology uh, and also, like, artistic and societal innovation, you know? And the question with this program, like, literal, like, the program itself, like, the machine and everything is that, what if it's impossible to dial in the experience at a certain mind state? Maybe it's sub-peak, right, or just above Breakthrough or somewhere in there, and they can ret- hold on to that space, be in it in a stabilized manner, and figure some really important things out. Um, you know, I'm I'm really curious to see uh, what could come out of uh, a program like that if we did that over and over again. Mm-hmm. But
0: Daniel, t- tomorrow, if you would send me an email to remind me of what I'm going to ask right now, or going to mention, uh, I sure. want to put you in contact with, with James Matt Fadiman. Jim Fadiman? Sure. He, he no. was a psychologist that worked with Myron Stoleroff at the Menlo Park Clinic. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, all those records were destroyed, but they, they had 350 people go through there, and and their whole purpose was to see if it could enhance the creativity mm-hmm. of the people who went through there. And they mm-hmm. had a training pro. They're the ones that used the carbogen too. And they went through a mm-hmm. training program. And so while, you know, I'm, I don't expect Jim will jump in and say, oh, yeah, this is a great thing to do. Yeah, right, I yeah. think he would be willing to share with you some of the protocols they use to uh, enhance, listen, to measure the difference mm-hmm. and things like that. I think yeah. it would be a good contact for you. So yeah, that would
1: be great. If you'd give me a bump tomorrow and remind sure. me,
0: I'll, I'll connect the two of you.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, you know, I've read Fatiman's book and, uh, you know, using microdosing dosing LSD for, you know, creative problem solving. I mean, these are these are happening all over the place right now, you know, and they're being used in like uh, unofficially used in um, corporate structures to um, engage in complex problem solving when it comes to coding and science. Right. You know, so I it's was- already happening.
0: I, I was, uh, microdosing when I was writing code back in the nineties and, uh, a lot of people were. And there are major corporations in Silicon Valley now that are have full-time staff members that are teaching people how to microdose. So, you know, the internet and computer mm-hmm. revolution wouldn't be here without it. And mm-hmm. now it's time for, uh, an inner revolution too. And, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of healing that really needs to be done and, and can be done. Mm-hmm. And then I think, uh, some of the things that you're, you're, Opening the possibilities for are some really truly creative possibilities. You know, we th- there 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 are a lot of us uh, here who listen to these podcasts have had you know a fair amount of experience with smoking in DMT, mm. and and it's such an overpowering, mm. quick thing. You know, and then afterwards you're you're coming down, and and hopefully nobody mm. says anything before you do, and you know. Mm. But if if you could control that and step in and out. Uh, you know, as I told Kevin uh, several months ago, I, I, uh, when I started the salon podcast, I gave my whole stash away and gave a couple of lifetime supply of DMT. And I figured, well, you know, I've done enough of that. But if you guys perfect this <laughs> extended dose, this is something I would uh, uh, change my ban on not traveling out of the country. And I go somewhere and do this because yeah. the possibility is just to really intrigue the heck out of me.
1: Yeah. It intrigues me too. I have to admit. Yeah. So you're more than welcome. We'd love to have you. And, uh, <laughs> how, I heard- how,
0: many, how many people are you t- attempting to train right now? Uh,
1: right now we have a team of about, uh, I think we're at uh, 10 or 11 uh, psychonaut trainees and, uh, and uh, they've been in the program for about a year. I recruited them last summer and uh, spring Um and they've gone through the one DMTX, we call them DMTX training retreats. So they've gone through DMTX one and we're about to go through the DMTX two. Um, and that's a, you know, there's only so many, you can't only do one person, work with one person at a time. So there's real time constraints in right. like bringing in too many people. So, uh, so they were all assessed um, f- based on uh, their age. We were only working with people over 30. It's one of our uh at least in this beginning phase, we want to, we want people to uh, have some life experience behind them uh, who have done medicine work before. Uh, and then they've gone through like a regimen of different mental health and safety assessments, physical safety assessments. Um, and then they're going to go, and that's going to step up every step of the way um, to the point when they're like preparing for the extended state DMT. Uh, you know, they're real... Uh, mental health concerns that we want to pay attention to and physical health concerns. Um, so we want to make sure that everybody is ready for the experience and we take um, safety and psychological safety very seriously. Um, so, so I get to hang out with these, it's a really cool group of people. Uh, uh, you know, pe- like imagine people who are stepping up to this idea or it's like, you know, the, the typical response is, you know, I have two feelings happening at the same time. one, it scares me to death, and two, I wanna go first. <laughs> and uh it's so we'll, there'll probably be a, a coin toss or something to see who gets to go
0: first. <laughs> You're looking for your Neil Armstrong, huh? Yeah,
1: yeah right. But well and so that's part of was part of the assessment is like people who can articulate the experience, who can share the experience, who can speak to it in a way that's uh um you know, inspiring, but not ungrounded, you know, um, and uh, and be able to retrieve um, relevant information, you know, at the very least to benefit their own lives. Right. Like um, that's that's a good enough goal for anybody going through the program. Um,
0: well, in, in my opinion, you have a good one, Kevin. You know, we've known him for over a year now. And, and uh, Kevin, you were saying all those good things about you. Uh, you how, how about you speaking up a little bit here tonight? <laughs>
2: Oh, man, what do
1: I say? It's, uh, it's been an adventure so far. I can say that. That's for sure.
0: <laughs> I, <You> know, <laughs> we don't want to press Kevin because he is driving on, the, <laughs> on a freeway and we can see yeah. the traffic going by. One mm-hmm. night, one night, Daniel, right after we got off, uh, a tornado went right behind him and uh, had a close call. So yeah, I heard about that. i don't want to distract him. Yeah. Help it. But, Kevin, yeah, for if you sure. want to say anything, just hold your hand up, and I'll, I'll click you in.
1: you know so you know one of the things that the all of the psychonauts have had to engage since the last retreat and since this one is coming up is a lot of uh, significant life transformational experiences and you know psychedelics can elicit these processes and uh, and and it requires um, engagement you know like uh, these medicines affect people and Life transforming ways. And so part of this whole process is, is like working with people as they go through these transformational experiences in their uh, personal lives, their work lives. People have moved and uh, changed jobs, uh, relationships, um, gone on uh, extended spiritual requests and such. You know, so, uh, so I've been, I've gotten to witness uh, just the idea of going through extended state DMT. Uh, transform pretty much everybody uh, uh, that encounter it you know and um, and so what is that process like what what is eliciting that you know is it just the idea of of these big experiences or is it something energetic or spiritual um is it just a natural human process that we are engaging intentionally you know i don't i don't know but you know it's happening all around us um
0: and you know i think I think you've got something kind of unique going on too, because uh you know we can all remember how frightened we were before say our first ayahuasca experience for for the first time we smoked that or did this, and then that really doesn't go away in fact, the more you do some of these things, the more frightening it gets and and i'm I'm picturing you and and your your ten uh, people in your group that makes 11 like the original astronaut. Oh no, seven, I guess it Apollo mm-hmm. 11, but mm-hmm. there's something about your group, uh, not knowing who's going to go first and realizing, you know, this is going into new territories and they're, mm-hmm. They're breaking new grounds. There's some sort of a repertoire that's, that's growing in your little mm-hmm. community. And and mm-hmm. I hope you're documenting this and, and taking some videos and, and getting people mm-hmm. on, on video and audio. Because, you, you know, this may turn out to be nothing. Let's agree with that. But let's also sure. say this could turn out to be something really uh, ch- life-changing for many mm-hmm. of us. And I, I hope you're documenting because the history... Yeah doing is important
1: I think yeah you know we've we've done some documentation I wish I had done a little more from the uh, first retreat so I'm gonna uh, uh, fix that and make sure we have a camera there most of the time Uh, and do interviews with the psychonauts and uh, team members and such Uh, because I think it is important and um, you know again acknowledging that uh, you know that there is a significant chance for difficult things to happen. And that in some ways is part of the process. And like in, in space travel, you know, this idea of like crisis isn't something it's not an if, but it's just to extend the frame out. It's a matter of when, right? Like you have to uh, train for the, um, you know, the opportunities that present themselves that require really showing up. And, you know, I, I have to do that in my psychedelic therapy practice, uh, and when they're held the right way, they're the most transformational and healing experience of someone's life. And, and so, you know, really I'm trying to take it a step at a time and not be, um, uh, pulled in by the light of inspiration where it's, it sweeps me off my feet, you know, and that's again, why we're taking it, it's, you know, trying to take it a step at a time. Um,
0: before, uh, I, I was going to. I want to shift and talk about your uh, your book in a minute. But before we we shift to uh, psychedelic cannabis, let me uh, invite anybody that would like to uh, you know ask a question or something right now. You could. Uh, I think you click the participant button at the bottom and you can raise your hand. Or if I can see you, you can go like, oh, okay. Here, let let me uh, uh, unmute you. Here, go ahead, wounds.
2: Oh, hi, Lorenzo. Hello, everybody. Hello, uh, we friends in common. Matthew Palamari, I've been on KMO's Sea uh, Realm podcast, and I have listened to every single one of your episodes. Um, <laughs> so I just want to, it's just a total privilege to well, be here. Listen,
0: you sound like you're coming from Texas with that accent, is that right?
2: <laughs> no, born in England, and. Um, and had a very conventional life, Cambridge University TV, radio, breakfast TV, saw behind the veil, saw all the lies being told to everybody, and was dealing with PTSD that went undiagnosed. And then um, a friend of a friend got slipped uh, DMT at a party without any kind of precursor. He had a terrible experience, I woke out of it with kind of things in his body and did a nine stretch in prison that's a long story and a friend contacted me and said I know you lucid dream and you have psychic episodes and all this sort of thing anyway have you ever heard of DMT and I went no I've never gone near psychedelics because I have a psychedelic life anyway really there's a lot we could say about that psychedelics on the natch is how life has been for me and so I never thought I'd get anywhere near psychedelics and then because my friend needed help in a kind of shamanic way, um, not to call myself one, but in a kind of shamanic mindset, I then researched Terence McKenna and everything to do with psychedelics extensively, which meant listening from very first of your podcast, psychedelic thinking, which I love and have shared with many Thank people you. all the way through everything and then that led me to the conclusion there was no way that I couldn't you know couldn't experience this for myself so I ended up helping the guy in prison like clear what was going on with him um, and have been very 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 fortunate to have my life saved essentially from long-term trauma PTSD with microdosing, psilocybin, Mm -hmm. DMT, full journeys, ayahuasca, others. Um, So I I am really grateful to be here and it's such a privilege. I've wanted to be on for a long time, but life has been quite derailed in different ways. I am really interested to hear about the legalities. I'm sitting here in Australia, born in England, Mm -hmm. have friends um, who are psychedelic uh, sort of therapists in England, despite the fact that it's not legal. I'm sat here in Australia where there is some movement, psilocybin research going on in Victoria or other places. Um, from what I gather in the States, maps are doing incredible work. Mm-hmm. MDMA assisted therapists are kind of getting trained. What, where, where does things stand now? Because I'm a performance poet and I jam with bands and things and I'm always sharing psychedelic tales and um, experiences on stage with, for audiences. And that's a kind of safe, kind of safe way to do it Um, because somehow it's not I guess maybe maybe even believed that I'm speaking truth when I'm doing it but I'm so impressed to have somebody like you all of you but you here saying I am a psychedelic therapist Mm -hmm. how does that sit legally because I am writing a book I'm about to start some podcasts I want to get I really want to help this crucial movement speed up because if I've been suffering and I've you know don't even have the disadvantages of some people in the world. there's so much suffering that could just be ended, let alone you know let alone just exploring of consciousness, which I see as a human right and everything else so how I'd love to just have some, sure, some sure. feedback <clears throat> on the gala, where the state of play is as far as you know, and mm-hmm.
1: yeah, so you know a psychedelic therapist is a person who um uses medicines for healing purposes and um uh, and it's not medicine specific. And again, because it's illegal to work with MDMA and psilocybin in the States, I wanted to explore alternative options. And so breath work. Uh, and then when cannabis became legal, you know, we again started to integrate it into our program. And we were surprised by the potency of these experiences. Um, so I feel very fulfilled uh, professionally. Uh, as a psychedelic therapist, uh, solely working with uh, psychedelic cannabis, um, which is legal in the state of Colorado and uh, a very large percentage now of the United States, um, uh, not in the UK or uh, Australia right now, I don't think. And, um, uh, but it is becoming more legal uh, and we teach people how to facilitate these experiences through our psychedelic sitter school program. Um, but since the beginning, you know, since Michael Pollan's book has come out, there's been a much stronger interest in psilocybin experiences. Um, and then there's also, uh ayahuasca type retreats available. Uh, but we would, we're, we're, uh, to remain legal, we would be taking, um, hosting retreats in, uh, Holland for psilocybin and then bringing our community down to Costa Rica for these experiences where all of these plant medicines are as legal as ayahuasca there. And, uh, and so it's always a dance and to figure, you know, uh, uh, what works for you personally. Um, you don't have to be as uh, out as a psychedelic therapist as I am to have a really fulfilling practice. Um, but I've enjoyed uh, stepping out of the underground, uh, Realm And I knew I would have a hard time not talking and sharing about these experiences. Um, you know, I've had, uh, my wife and I are raising two small children, you know, the oldest will be six in a month. And so, you know, it was important for us to figure out something that we felt comfortable doing with doing and supporting, um, and acknowledging the risk associated with it. So I stepped away from other medicines. You know, there are people who are very ethical in doing uh, work that's, um, not sanctioned. Maybe we can put it that way. Uh, And, you know, it does require a significant amount of um, professional ethics and uh, discernment, you know, to stay safe. And, and sometimes the people that we want to work with, uh, you know, we don't have the institutional support that we could, that we really need to help them. And, um, and so having a discerning eye and who, who, if you're at your level of skill and your specialty and, uh trainings and all of that to stay within these um you know those boundaries of, of support and care and um and it can be a very fulfilling um profession you know like this is really the best job i've ever had you know so
2: and with the dmt specifically with what you're doing there that, so that's that would not- be
1: outside so the actual DMT would be in uh, Costa Rica and ah, Costa Rica. Uh, and so we've done some preliminary legal research around that around that question and also have interviewed other uh, like ayahuasca retreats and things about the legality of the differences between ayahuasca and DMT and other plant medicines uh, some places DMT is not legal in uh, ayahuasca is <laughs> yeah our first our first attempt to find a retreat center, we were going to work with a a DM, like actual DMT church in Brazil. And uh, when that, and so we would have been working under his church that he, so he basically spent the last five years um, using the ayahuasca laws to justify having a, dmt church in brazil
2: that The vegetal or the daime? no you
1: know, it's, it's the a different it's independent from the uh, brazilian churches there uh but then the um current fascist um president got elected and uh and decided that maybe going to brazil to do these types of experiences wasn't the safest place for now um you know so uh, so you know it 's been and it's took it 's taken us a year to reexplore these questions of where to actually do this, you know so even if it 's legal there 's still questions around um, like uh traditional religious communities and ayahuasca communities might not be interested in this because it 's uh not within an indigenous framework right and uh, uh, and there 's a lot of questions and debates around these things i i 'm personally interested in it because It's not, it doesn't have to be um, within a religious framework, you know, uh, um, you know, so that felt important to me. And another reason why I work with cannabis, uh, because like, you know, there's no cultural appropriation in the same ways as uh, with like using ayahuasca and things for research. So, um, so that's, you know, so this, we want to be able to speak about all of what we're doing. So the legality of it has always been a um, high priority so that we can remain open about what we're doing. Uh, that doesn't mean it's not edgy, um, but it is, um, legal. Uh, The other way we're making, uh, adding extra protections to our, uh, legally speaking is we're starting a religious nonprofit here. And, and, and even though we're not going to do work with DMT in the U S being members of a religious organization also protect us further under Costa Rican law. Um, And so the religious nonprofit will be about consciousness exploration. It won't be a, you know, a belief system organization. So, so those are some of the ways that we're working with the uh, legality of it
2: right now. May I just say, I know I've spoken, may I just um, add one more thing that may just go ahead, go ahead. Thank you so much. Thanks, Lorenzo. Um, so I'm interested in uh, there's a couple of things. As you expand what you're doing, particularly with artists and musicians and cross pollinating different modalities, which is just like a no brainer and wonderful to hear that it's on the cards, maybe at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been a long time lucid dreamer as well. Quite often have semi lucid dreams, but lots of lucid dreams where i can fully take control in the dream space um this has led me to seek out other people that do and that's just a natural thing um it's really good to meditate in lucid dreams uh, <laughs> that's kind of like the most amazing thing one of the most amazing things to do. so i'm interested in the natural levels of dmt in an individual um for that kind of reason um and also because i don't i'm trying to remember the name of this guy caesar moore i think his name is um I, I went to a sound journey on a community I was living on which was a kind of medicinal community here in Australia and we had a guy called uh season more I think his name was he came and he had profound um kind of physical and mental overwhelm for the first sort of 15 years of his life in Queensland although he was a genius with music but his family saw that as he was possessed um instead of it being a talent and they put him on the waiting list to be put into a mental asylum and when he turned 15 he was about to get put in a family member gave him a couple of hundred thousand just said run there's nothing wrong with you you're just a genius but you need to get out of here or you'll be put into an institution so that started his life where he just literally went on the run and started spending time with different indigenous tribes around the world including a particular tribe and i can't remember where um, where they would um, go about their daily business in the waking life, supposedly this waking life. So they'd chop wood and they'd make fires and they'd do all of that. And then at night, without the aid of um, hallucinogens, they would all sleep together in the same space and lucid dream together. Mm. And that was where they sat around and talked and actually communicated that way in the dream state, lucidly, mm. without the use of herbs. and all. So this is a very interesting thing because from that experience, Caesar Moore became kind of a bit adept in this. And when he came back from travels and was safe from being incarcerated, having played lots of musical instruments, he would do DMT journeys for people with music, but he also encountered ayahuasca himself for the first time. Now he sat with a one-on-one practitioner who said, this may help you with the physical kind of anomalies. And he drank um, the normal dose, no response few times, a normal dose, no response. It wasn't until they continued. In the end, it took 12 times the normal amount of ayahuasca, i.e. DMT, the active, for it to have any kind of effect on him. This is very interesting because his particular abilities and the fact that he was able to lucid dream with this tribe just from being in their presence, that's what they did. Um, And then it took 12 times the amount of normal DMT for him to have an additional kind of experience. Mm -hmm. So that's just something else I think is quite interesting because, you know, we're all holding <laughs> in, that, in that sense, in all of it. Mm-hmm. And I can't help but feel, especially living in Australia and meeting a few clever men here and indigenous sort of leaders, that there is, um, uh, without getting too conspiracy about it, there's so many kind of toxins in our environment and frequencies that interfere with what we would naturally maybe be able to do otherwise. And I'm definitely grateful for psychedelic medicines, for you know breakthrough experiences but these mm. also have been places that i've glimpsed naturally on m- in many different ways sure
1: but, well i think this uh, you know there are natural capacities uh that humans have and some of us are more sensitive to these capacities than others and what we play with is that these are skill sets that can be developed and you know mindfulness skill sets um uh, inner journey work skill the ability to navigate an inner space and to do things in that space to relaxed tension in the body, um, but, you know, some people uh, neurologically, DMT doesn't affect them at all, and, um, you know, I know people who, uh, who can smoke DMT, and it just doesn't do anything to them, and, um, you know, so we all have these uh, unique neurologies uh, around these things, but these are natural human uh, capacities that um, can be reached without these medicines, and there's a lot of evidence now that uh, shows that maybe endogenous DMT-like molecules, including NMDMT, are being released in these experiences. Like, um, you know, breathwork uh, uh, might have a um, some sort of DMT, endogenous DMT release associated with the experience. Uh, so these are not unheard of. and And so these are, you know, this, I guess, is just the 2019 technological way to explore possibilities of group states experiences you know um yeah thank you for your question yeah
2: thank you for allowing yeah uh
0: we're about out of time here daniel but i am intrigued about the book that you have coming out Psychedelic cannabis, and and, uh, I can't wait to read it myself. And I'd also like to invite you to come back uh, here on the podcast to uh, talk about it once it's uh, published. Because uh, I have had some very psychedelic Mm -hmm. experiences on cannabis, and Mm -hmm. and uh, but they've they've never been like uh, organized very well. I I didn't really know what I was doing, Mm -hmm. and I'd love to learn from somebody Mm -hmm. that's really given some thought and some uh, has some background. So uh, I hope you'd agree to do that.
1: Yeah, I'd love to come back. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah, good, um,
0: good. Yeah. Well, uh, Kevin, again, I want to thank you for uh, putting us in touch with uh, Daniel and Andrew. And, and in uh, two weeks, when we have Rick Strassman on, uh, maybe we can get you all back.
1: But Yeah, uh, I'd like to get on that one if we can. Okay, That'd sure, be great. I'm
0: sure that you get the link. And, That'd be uh, great uh, then definitely, uh, about your book as well. I, I'm anxious to uh, read that. So I think we've got mm-hmm. some, uh, fun times ahead of us. So
1: yeah, I'm you looking for- forward to it. It should be published any week now. So I'll, I'll send you the info when I get okay, it. Okay,
0: great. And, and everybody, I, I appreciate you being here tonight. Thank you so much. And, uh, uh, until next week, by the way, Eric Davis is going to be here. So I hope you show up for that. Uh, he's the guy that uh, he's not only a friend that helped me start the uh, Planky Northly lectures, but he's the one that did the last interview of Terrence McKenna, uh, mm. he's a good friend of Terrence's. So we can talk about that. Anyhow, until next week, keep the old faith and stay high.
2: <laughs> You're listening to the psychedelic salon where people are changing their lives. One thought at a time.
0: For what it's worth, I did conduct a search of the book that I mentioned about the CIA's psychedelic research, and I searched to see if they did any research on DMT. The book that I'm referring to is called A Terrible Mistake by H.P. Alborelli, and is the most detailed account of MKUltra and other such CIA projects that I've ever found. As I said in the podcast, this book provides an an extremely detailed account of these experiments, and yet there isn't a single mention of DMT in it. Of course, this doesn't mean that the U.S. government isn't still secretly conducting ongoing psychedelic experiments on both witting and unwitting persons. You know, at one time we thought COINTELPRO went away, but now we know that the government is still planting informers in most activist organizations. Seems like these tired old white men just can't seem to break their bad habits. But hopefully, the private research project that we just learned about will be able to stay a few steps ahead of Big Brother's attempts to find better ways in which to maintain the status quo of the default world. Personally, I have to admit that I don't really hold a belief that the machine elves Terence McKenna talked about are actually real entities. But, on the outside chance that they are, Well, then I'm all for reaching out to them for a little help from our friends. Assuming, of course, that they actually are friendly. (laughs) And I'll leave you to ponder that thought until we meet again. So, for now, this is Lorenzo signing off from Cyberdelic Space. Be well, my friends.